All right, turn in your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And can you guys hear me okay? Am I faint or am I solid? Check one, two. You good? You good? All right, Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 11. We are continuing our study. Um, This is God's Word. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Who's been stuck in a plane on the tarmac before you had to take off? That is a miserable experience. What's the longest you've been stuck on a tarmac? Two hours? Three? Any higher than three? Five? Four? Oh, just miserable. It's so miserable. My, my record is an hour and a half, but it was on the front side of a 13-hour flight. That really just grinds in. I mean, it's just so awful. It's miserable to wait. Uh, and we could think of all kinds of uh, examples of uh, how hard it is to wait uh, on things like carpool lines and Disneyland rides and, uh, and a spouse, uh, uh, not saying which one that you would be waiting on, but, uh, or supermarket lines or a business uh, deal or a health report. We have to wait on all kinds of things, and it's hard to wait. Uh, it's frustrating often to wait, and sometimes it's even miserable. Um, waiting is perceived by us primarily as a life interrupter, as it gets in the way of our plans. We have plans. We want to execute those plans. We want to carry them out. We have, a, we have a direction that we're going in and waiting, things that are forced upon us, um, that, that gets in the way. Well, it should be no surprise to the Christian then, uh, this, um, the chief, a chief characteristic of faith, a chief characteristic of faith is waiting. If you're a man or woman of faith, a chief characteristic of that is waiting because for God, uh, in his dealings with the fallen sinner, he's the great life interrupter. He's the one who interrupts your plans. He's the one who gets in the way. He intrudes with his gospel. Um, and the Christian, in the power of the Holy Spirit, then suspends all of our rights and privileges. We say, God, what is your plan for my life? You have interrupted. Now it's, you've interrupted my plans. Now what are your plans for my life? Uh, and of course, God is the giver of that life. He has consummate say over every aspect of it. Now, the prevalent cultural cry is, my rights, my body. Don't you tell me what to do with my body. Don't tell me what to do with my identity, what to do with my esteem. It's my esteem. Don't you tell me what to do with my esteem, my accomplishments, my, my dreams, and so on. But the Christian reality is that we possess nothing. We are owners. We don't have rights. Um, we don't have time. We don't have resources. We don't have money. We don't have our own intellect. Everything we received is a gift a gift from God the giver, and um, those, comes, those things come with non-negotiable instructions as to their proper use. God wants us to live a certain way. He has the right, the consummate say to tell us how we should live. Now, uh, the writer of Hebrews here, um, 
He's got a depiction of men and women of faith in chapter 11, of course, as you know, of Hebrews. And um, he's got an important lesson here. And uh, it's made extraordinarily clear, I think, in this illustration, this story of Abraham, which also includes the story of Sarah. So let's go to our first point, which is just one of two points. The big one, the first one's uh, the longer of the two. The first one is the irony of Abraham. Now, folks, I've made, this is a a challenging passage. When you get to chapter 11 of of Hebrews, you know, there's a part of you that wants to do like the whole chapter at at once. (laughs) Uh, And then there's another part of you that goes, wow, if I break it down, it's really going to be scary and hard because you're moving, uh, you know, a verse or two at a time. uh, And, uh, you know, it's it's just, it's just tough preparation. Um, But um, we we look at this and um, so I've made, I've made a sermonic choice to, to pause at verse 11. I would probably say that most people kind of slide verses 11 and 12 into what's happened before or what's coming up next, or they, people would just take the entire block about Abraham in one big shot. If you notice that um, in verse 8, it says, by faith, Abraham obeyed and so on. But look at verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, blah, blah, and it goes all the way through. Um, and so you've got this big block um, about Abraham and Sarah is folded into it. Um, so uh, there, there's some, there, there's some uh, things that we need to kind of sort out here. Sarah's mentioned, ladies and gentlemen, she's mentioned, this is very important for you to understand, she's mentioned in the context of the covenant made with Abraham. So she's singled out, she's named, but remember, she's in the context of God's dealing with Abraham. Um, and notice, too, that we see all these names in here by way of just getting us set up. You've got Enoch and Abel and Noah, and you've got Sarah, and you've got Isaac, and you've got Moses, and all these people. You've got, all these, uh, you've got nameless saints on the next, uh, uh, toward the end of the chapter. Um, and it's very easy for us to kind of exalt those um, and, and to pray silly things like, Oh, Lord, make me more like Moses. Or, oh, dear Lord, I've heard this prayed a million times, Lord, make me more like David. Oh, if only I could be more like King David. You know, when I hear people pray that, I want to go, <clears throat> when? Like, what, what's, what stage of his life do you want to be like David? These people are not um, the standard that we're supposed to hold up and go, oh, if only I could be like them. Jesus is our standard. And one of the great things about this, and the, the reason it's so gospel-soaked, is you've got flawed people. Each one of these characters, you can go through the scriptures and go, ooh, I see flaws here, I see flaws. Um, they're flawed, and yet they're named uh, for their faith. Is that not an encouraging thing? You're flawed, but, but you will be named for your faith when you uh, go, to, go to heaven and face this, this God and this Savior, okay? So our standard is Jesus. He's the only one who's the Son of God. He's the only one who's the Savior. He's the only one who's the perfect man. And uh, those things said now, Sarah is very much a part of the story. Um, and I think, I think she's a treasured part of the story. It's not just an add-on to the story of Abraham. Important to remember that it's, it's in the context of God's dealing with Abraham. But she's not just an add-on. She's specifically put in here by the Scripture writer. And I just I find that compelling, and I just I wanted to give a little more attention. So here we are in, in verse 11. Let's look at it. Um, it says this, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Now, um, there's a lot of controversy, you probably don't know this, over the first part of that verse. 
the first part of that verse, different translations put it differently. In fact, some of them are kind of choppy and herky-jerky because they're, they're trying to stay close to the original, and it's got kind of a, 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 strange, um, a strange kind of a syntax in English. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age. So here's the controversy. And I don't want to drag you way down into something that's not going to benefit you, but it is good for you to know that this exists, um, and I think it does help us understand. Problem number one. The question is, you look at this, the, the way it's translated here in verse 11, the question is, is Sarah the object of the uh, verse? Is uh, Sarah the object of the sentence? I mean, if you look, I mean, right in verse 12, look at it, it says, therefore, okay, so it's being hooked to what's just being said about Sarah, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as stars of heaven. That's the covenant God makes with Abraham. So you can see that the whole thing is still anchored in Abraham. And so the question uh, translators have come to year after, I mean, many translators over many years, they go, well, is Sarah the object of this thing or is Abraham, is the story still about Abraham? All right, so that's, that's, that's problem number one. Sarah's mentioned, but is she the topic, okay? Question and problem number two is this. If you've got a King James Version, um, it'll say something. It'll say, through faith, Sarah also herself received strength to conceive seed. All right, there, there you can kind of feel that kind of strange, uh, you know, the way that it transfers over into English. Through faith, Sarah also herself received strength to conceive seed. Here's, here's a problem with that. Um, you know, that's, that seems contiguous enough to, to what's around it and all that. The problem is that the idiom used for seed is always male. And here it's, here it's being, it's, it's, you know, translators tend to put it to Sarah. And listen, um, I mean, you know exactly what seed from a male is. I mean, it's, it's very distinct. So the criticism is that the, that the text, the translations, have been massaged by translators to accommodate the mention of Sarah. And uh, sometimes it, it spins it too hard towards Sarah, and you lose the Abrahamic uh, thrust, okay? Problem number three is this. If you put it as the ESV does, it says in the ESV that Sarah... Um, yeah, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Um, there's a problem with that too, a theological problem. If, you, if, you, if you're a head scratcher, if you're a scholar, you ponder that long enough, you go, um, uh, that almost makes Sarah the father of Israel. <laughs> uh, and that, that could be a the, theological sticking point, not to mention the problem about where seed comes from and so on. So to simplify ladies and gentlemen, and to not, I don't think, compromise the intent of the author of Hebrews at all, okay? To simplify, to bring it home to you. I think what it's trying to communicate to us is this. God took what was impossible, and he supernaturally applied his strength. He supernaturally intervened. He came from outside using divine fiat, and he made something possible that was impossible. All that to say that. It's the story of God covenanting with Abraham. And of course, Sarah's a big part of that. Um, but it's God taking this impossible situation and making it possible. Um, you know, in verse 12, it says, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. I mean, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's quite a commentary. In fact, the apostle Paul, don't turn there, but I'm in Romans 4 here. The apostle Paul in Romans 4.19 says, um, um, Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead, 
since he was about 100, year old, 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. All right, same kind of a thing, and you can tell that um, it's Abraham considering Sarah, and it's God covenanting through uh, Abraham. You see the flow of what, uh, of what the Apostle Paul is saying there, too. So, um, just as in the account of Mary, when she conceives Jesus by the Holy Spirit, I mean, the, the, the focus is on her and got what God has done through her. I mean, Joseph is a part of the story, but when we read about Mary and, and uh, the, the virgin birth, Mary's the Mary is a key player. She's the, she's the big one. In this scenario, Abraham, God's covenanting with Abraham, it's the same thing. The focus is on Abraham, and then there are other redemptive players folded into it, all right? So that's super condensed. Uh, here, here's the super condensed version. God is blessing Abraham's seed, okay? Now, all that said, Sarah is specifically mentioned, Right? So you got it? God is blessing Abraham's seed. That's the short story of all the stuff that I just said. And yet, Sarah is named. The, the, the scripture writer is very careful to make sure that she's in there, and I think that that's very important. Um, so l- let's look at it. She, there's, this, there's this statement that's made about her faith, and it's remarkable, ladies and gentlemen. It, it's, it's wonderful. L- l- listen what it says about her. It's so full of grace, folks. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, and here it is, since she considered him faithful who had promised. That is a huge statement, ladies and gentlemen. Um, It's enormous. She counted God as faithful. What lessons can we learn from that? Well, she considered God's person. She considered the person of the living God. God himself, she considered as faithful. In other words, she thought about the way he was. That's what it is to consider this God. That's what it is to have faith in him. You say, God, you have revealed yourself to me to be a certain way. Where have you done that? You've done it by this book. You haven't done it by magic dust you haven't done it by uh, giving me a particularly wonderful burrito uh, that uh, just that stimulated my senses. You've done it by this book in the power of your spirit. And as I live my life, what's happening is God's taking the truth of this book, applying it to our souls. He's taking the truth of what he said about himself, applying it to us. The truth of what he's, he's done redemptively, he's applying it to our hearts. Everything we know specially about this God is revealed in his word. That's how he deals with us. And so application number one, she thinks about the way God is. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the basis of sanity for you, is to think rightly about the way God is. You want to think sanely? That is how you do it. When we pull all of our control and our focus into our selfish black hole, and everything starts to pull inward, and our perspective is inward, and our plans are inward, that is crazy. That is not health. But what we do, as Sarah has cited, is, is doing, when we put our focus on who God is, she considers him faithful personally for what he's promised. When we do that, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that, that's sanity. So, so the how-to is, friends, um, when you go through scary things and turmoil and you have questions and you're, you're, you're emotionally in, in, in high waves, um, pray for the grace. Uh, pray that God would give you the grace to, to, to let go of your P 
puny grip on your own plans and say, okay, God, um, I'm going to consider who you are and put my faith in you, um, God will answer that prayer, friends. All right, application number two on this. Um, You know, a little music lesson for you. In every room you've ever heard live music, Every, in your, your whole life, every, every time you've gone to a concert, there are two sound systems in the room. Did you know that? There's a sound system that the crowd hears, and there's a sound system that the band hears. And, um, you know, back in the day, I mean, we, you know, I used to play with an eight-piece band that was almost on a stage about this big. Not really, but it was like four of these. I mean, you were just, when you got a ride cymbal in your ear and, uh, and you're touching the shoulders of the guitar player, I mean, that is a cramped little stage. Okay, so you've got speakers pointed at you. It's not a big deal to kind of hear each other. But, you know, on a stage like this, I mean, our, 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 fellow, our, our sanctuary stage, or even here, I mean, you're, you're 10 feet from the next guy. You've got to be able to hear. And so the crowd has a sound system and the band has their own sound system. And you've noticed as technology's improved over the years, those little monitors on the floor have pretty much disappeared. And now what's happened is these things. Everybody's got these things in their ears. And by the way, I don't know if you've heard me say this before, but if, if somebody told me 20 years ago that I would have to insert something in my body to, uh, to serve the Lord in music, I would have just laughed at you. But I mean, look how deep these are. They just, you got to, huh? Five years ago. <laughs> Well, you got to kind of like screw them into your head. And so there's an engineer that's mixing what you hear out there. And there's another engineer that's mixing individually what each band member hear, hears. All right. So here's my illustration. We used to have these blue boxes on the stage. Remember that? We had these blue boxes. It was called the Aviom system. And uh, I could say, oh, I need a little more piano. Oh, I need a little more of myself. Mm, I need this. I don't want this. I need some singers. Da, da, da. And I would dial it up and you get the mix just like you want it. All right. And uh, you go, oh, this is how I want it. Oh, it's exactly how I like it. These are my plans. Then you go digital, and you get an operator who knows what he's doing. You know, somebody who just mixes ears. That's all he does is he mixes ears. You got the guy who mixes the house. You got the guy who mixes your ears, and you got somebody focused on you, and they go from person to person to person. They listen to your mix, and they go, hmm, oh, he needs this, this, this. When you get somebody who knows what they're doing, it's, it's almost hilarious, you set it up how you want it, and you go, oh, this is, how, this, I, this is what I need. Oh, I like this. When you get somebody who's better than you, which is like everybody, <laughs> all of a sudden you go, wow, I'm an idiot. <laughs> you know, my plans are stupid. I thought I had it just like I liked it. Oh, I have great comfort. Oh, I will maximize my performance by my wonderful plans over here. And you get somebody else who's better than you, and they're like, hey, dummy, watch this. And you go, wow, there's something better for me from outside of me, from something who has greater authority than me. And that's my illustration, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you know, this, a, a commentator wrote a quote on this verse from 1 Corinthians 2. Um, the verse is, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Is that a hopeful thought? Well, here's what a commentator wrote about that very hopeful verse. He says, To keep us from filling ourselves on lesser things, God leaves us in circumstances of want and also gives us promises of great blessing far beyond our imagining. That's what I mean, ladies and gentlemen, by this main idea. A chief characteristic of faith is waiting. One of the reasons God makes us wait, ladies and gentlemen, wait on him, 
Wait on the Lord. Wait on him to move. Wait on him to pour out grace. Wait on him to give us clarity and direction. One of the reasons God makes us wait, puts us in a season of want, is so that we go, all right, I'm going to take my hands off of my plans and my monitor mix and my desires for the, my feeling of control in this life over this thing and that thing. I'm going to take my hands off of it in the season of waiting and exercise faith. All right, so to close up this point, here's the irony of Abraham, all right? That's our sermon point, <laughs> the irony of Abraham. Sarah's folded into that story, and of course, they're a part of the greater redemptive story, which is God's story. Here's the irony of Abraham. Abram, the name Abram, means father of many or high father. I told you that last week. So this guy grows up, Abram, his name means father of many or high father, and he can't have kids. And so he lives his whole life, and it's a long life too. It's not a little short life like we got. It's a pre-flood and all that stuff. A pre, what do you call it? Deluvian. The pre, uh, what do you, is it pre-Deluvian? Is that how you say it? Um, um, so it's hard to describe to our culture what a big deal that was for um, in that ancient culture to have that, an absence of children. And so it was a personal disgrace. Grace, it was even humiliation. And you can just imagine, uh, oh, hey there, Abram, uh, father of many. Uh, speaking of father of many, how many do you have? I don't have any. Years of, of personal humiliation and disgrace for him. Can you imagine living in that cultural climate where your name is father of many and you don't have any? Now, Sarah, her name, you know what that means? Princess or noble woman. So you've got father of many or great father, high father. You've got noble woman, princess, and uh, there's, no, there's no little kingdom. <laughs> uh, that's quite a scene. And then God comes along, and guess what he does with Abram? He changes his name from father of many to Abraham, which means father of nations or father of multitudes or uh, uh, the father is high. Um, now, I suspect, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that the only thing that can keep your faith steady is a reflection on the person of God. Um, you look at the irony of Abraham and, and uh, what, what he and Sarah had to trust in, um, what they had was God's perfect and unchanging character. Um, all right, moving on to our next point sets us up nicely for the last thing, which is the illumination of who is doing what. Look at the text again, uh, verse 12. It says, therefore... Um, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Well, now that's, that's, that's beauty, uh, beautiful, it's uh, encouraging, it's lofty and wise. Uh, God made good on his promise and so forth, forth. But did you catch the first part of that verse? In verse 12, it says, therefore. That therefore is uh, therefore us to not blow an opportunity to gain a lesson um, on how God seems to like to work. Again, Sarah says, it says that Sarah considered him faithful who had promised. God is faithful personally. He's the keeper and backer of his promises. That he's, that he's faithful means he's, he makes a promise, but it's not just, is that promise gonna be any good? Like if I made the promise, I hope he carries out. With, oh yeah, he's a man of his word, we hope, unless he's selfish. Uh, God isn't. He makes a promise, he keeps that word. And so she considers him faithful who had promised. God is a faithful keeper of his promises. And so this therefore is this big redemptive story that started to flow. Now, application for you and me. This is encouraging, I think, 
because Sarah, in one sense, like a lot of these folks, uh, Enoch, okay, um, um, Enoch, okay, Abel, okay, but Noah, Abraham, Moses, um, oh, Samson, David, Gideon, uh, all these guys, ladies and gentlemen, far from perfect lives, Sarah, far from an exemplary faith at points, and yet she's listed among these people of faith. Um, The point is, she's not a pristine example of faith, and yet she is cited for her great faith. Isn't that cool? That's hopeful. It's it's just overflowing with grace. I'll tell you, turn in your Bibles if you would. We're going to look at a few things in Genesis. Turn in Genesis to chapter 16. We're in the home stretch, everybody. Um, Genesis 16, and I'm just going to blow through the first six verses or so. Genesis 16, verse 1, Sarah, Abraham's wife, Abram's wife, was born, had borne him no children. Indeed, she was barren. Um, she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Abraham does it. Um, so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, the servant, gave him to Abram, as, uh, her husband, as a wife. And uh, he goes into Hagar, she conceives as a kid, and so on. Um, and then it's, uh, it's not a very happy home life, as you might imagine. All right, so that, that you, you see this woman who's like, okay, the Lord made a promise, um, sick awaiting, and uh, I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and uh, so this is how we're going to do it. Hardly a wonderful picture of faith. Is that what lands her in um, Hebrews chapter 11? Well, you know, nothing is insurmountable with God, ladies and gentlemen. Flip over to two chapters to uh, Genesis 18. Um, it says, uh, the Lord appeared to um, Abraham uh, by, by these trees, and in verse 2, uh, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. They saw him and so on. Um, and uh, so there's this, this, this messenger, these messengers come, um, uh, what, where is it? Verse 9. Look at Genesis. Uh, look at verse, yeah. Oh, look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah, and he said, quick, three seas of flour, and so on. Um, oh, let me keep rolling. Look at verse 9. He says, to, he said, they say, where's Sarah, your wife? He says, she's in the tent. Um, the Lord said, I will surely return to you next time this year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent by the door. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Couldn't have kids anymore anyway. Barren, and now she's too old. So, verse 12, Sarah laughed to herself, saying, Am I worn out? My Lord is old. Shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Um, and then in verse 15, Sarah denies it. I did not laugh. So she lies to God. <laughs> she doesn't believe God. She goes, Oh, come on. Really? I'm too old. Can't do it anyway. And I'm too old. And, and uh, what about? She just called out on it and she lies. Now, is that something that ends you up in Hebrews chapter 11? Well, turn one more th- time to Genesis chapter 21. Um, verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he, has pro- as he had promised. <laughs> and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Anybody know what Isaac means? 
laughter. Is that cool? And in verse 6, it says, And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Now, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. It's the imperfect woman of faith looking back and and remarking that God was faithful. He did all things on his own peculiar timetable and and brought about what he had promised. Now, that's why we say a chief characteristic of faith is waiting. We don't know what God's got cooked up, um, but, but he is faithful to carry out what he said to carry out. All right, a couple things, we're done. Here's a quote from A.W. Pink, and um, he, he says this, before faith is established, you want to be a person of faith? You want to exercise faith? Oh, Lord, increase my faith. I want to be a person of faith. I want to believe you. Here's A.W. Pink's quote. Before faith is established, often there is conflict. And you've heard the expression, it's kind of a Christian cliche, crisis of faith. Well, that's why, that's why that statement exists. God puts your heart in a crisis where you have to say, I'm not in control, apparently. Felt like I was driving my life in this particular circumstance really well, but I'm in a crisis of faith. I'm at a, I'm at a point of conflict, and it's making me have to take my hands off and go, all right, you're going to have to sort it out, God. That's what Sarah did. That's why that's, the story is so encouraging. Her, her life is so encouraging, because imperfect And yet, she's remarked to be a woman of faith. Now, last thing, I'll give you this. You know, we sing Martin Luther's song written in the 1500s on Psalm 130. From depths of woe I raise to thee the voice of lamentation. Right? You've heard that song? There's one verse that says this. I'm going to analyze it for you. It says, What though I wait the live long night... Until the dawn appeareth. Now, I know that's weird speaking. It's old-timey English. What though I wait the mid-long night? Um, You know what that's simply saying? It's saying, even if I got to wait all night till the sun comes up, sleepless night, tossing, turning, even if I've got to wait all night long, even till the sun comes up, my heart still trusteth in his might. It doubteth not, nor feareth. So it's saying... I'm banking everything on the person of God and his abilities. I believe that. Tossing and turning all night long. But what I'm clinging to is the person of God and his abilities to keep his promises. And then, it's so cool, Martin Luther writes an instruction. So he's, he's writing this poetic verse, and he, now he's teaching us. He says, do thus so ye of Israel's seed. He's saying, you do it too when you toss and turn. When your nights are hard, when you've got a question mark, when you're waiting on a health report that's frightening, all night long, bank on the person of God who has made promises to work all things together for your good. That's what that's saying. Ye of the Spirit born indeed, and wait till God appeareth. Now, what does that mean? Ye of the Spirit born indeed. You know what it means? Abraham's seed. That's what he's saying. And heirs according to the promise. You know who that is? I'll tell you exactly who that is. It's Christians. Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Galatians 3.29. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I hate to tell um, quite a few Jewish people in the world, of which I am one-eighth. 
perhaps. Um, I, I hate to tell them all, but they're not Jewish. We are. We're Abraham's seed of the Spirit, born indeed. What you're supposed to take home, I think, ladies and gentlemen, today and, and into Monday is that a chief characteristic of faith is waiting. Um, but you're waiting with a particular status. You're waiting as an heir. And the lesson we can take away from Sarah is that uh, we rely on particular promises that are backed by the person of God. And the test of faith is that we take our grip off of our little lives and aspirations and methods of control and say, okay, Lord, give me the grace to let go and trust in your person. Righteous Father, um, we grip so many things and we, we feel ourselves so often in control and, and we're surprised when things unravel. We're surprised when our, our lives are intruded upon by circumstances. But um, uh, Lord, um, you are working in the lives of, of Christian men and women all the time, our imperfect lives and uh, making us examples of faith. So we ask that you would do that, Lord. We, we, we know the challenges to our faith, conflict, tests, crises will come. But uh, when they do, Lord, pour out grace on this flock. Pour out grace on me. Uh, pour out grace on us, Lord. Uh, teach our souls um, to, to let our grip loose and uh, trust in the magnificent excellences of you. And we pray it in Jesus' name.